Infirmary Media. In decades, the Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Who coach your popping pins, dropping hand grenades? Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Broadcasting from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water does it better. It's the adult only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle. Because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome to Dueling Decades. Let's meet this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for as they prepare to compete in the week experience. First off, the challenger, representing the final week of May 1996, and hailing from the Mile High City. Yo, what's going on? Carlos here from the Be Kind of Rewind podcast. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Thank you for coming. And fighting with the final week of May 1986, he is the often disputed but yet undefeated <laughs> Dueling Decades champion, Man Crush. That's right. I got uh, May 24th through 31st of 1986. And I'm just noticing now that Carlos looks like he wasn't even born in the 90s. Dude, you look like you're like 18 years old. I know. You're I, like a vampire. I, I got the, the, the baby face. I got the Keanu blood. Uh, flowing through me i cannot lose this when i was 19 i i couldn't get over the fact i didn't i couldn't look older but now you know I'll, I'll take it but i'm here for w like i was telling you i i'm i'm over on these matches if you guys probably have been keeping tallies so i'm ready to claim one of these oh jeez, big i did not realize that you didn't have a win coming into this ever yeah i've always Even come close and it's always the final round it just kind of gets me man all right. Hopefully, this isn't the first. I hope. I'm hoping for it. <laughs> you almost agreed with. Me. I was like, "Oh yeah, let's do it." <laughs> and this week, I, Mark James, get the shot to judge this special spring slobber knocker. And joining me here on commentary for this episode is the legendary Mike Ranger. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Ranger, and I'm just here to watch. <laughs> so weird. He just likes to watch. Think, think about that. <laughs> he, he's a podcast cook. Just stand over there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules and is for the Dueling Decades Championship. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and for the week experience, Hot Products has been replaced with sports the judges ruling will determine who wins each round allowing the victor to choose the next available category the first three rounds are worth one point each with rounds four and five worth two points apiece and the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds duelers let's be excellent to each other and play some dueling decades do this let's coin flip man all what do right. you got all right so for the coin toss this week i have a bootleg audio cassette from 1986 of a band called blues band this is the very first recording of the band that would become blues traveler that i saw for the first time in 1996 
Hey, can we go ahead and change the uh, the coin toss to be officially called the toss off? We could the official toss off. I like that. I this like, is the like official it. toss off. All right, of the episode. So, since Carlos is the visitor and the challenger, we will let him call it. Do you want side A or side B? The B sides are always the best, so I'm going B side. All right, we're flipping it. It is B. All right. It lands on the B side. Starting off with a little luck. Hopefully it goes all the way. All right. What category would you like to start off with for the one-point rounds? For the one-point round, um, I think I'm going to jump into news. So for the first news that I got, it's going to be starting in May of 1996. We got World No Tobacco Day. So uh, it's going to be observed around the world every May is intended to encourage a 24-hour period of abstinence from all forms of tobacco consumption around the globe. So it's to further intend, intended to draw attention to widespread prevalence of tobacco use and the negative effects, currently leading to more than 7 million deaths each year, including 890,000, which are the result of non-smokers being exposed to secondhand smoke. So I think that's that's a pretty worthy day for everyone to for 24 hours you know we could we could do without and i haven't heard them you know promote it like you know on, on any news sites but i'm sure some people may be taken so i think the uh, no tobacco day is pretty solid what day is that what does that fall on may 31st oh man they give it the last the day of the last month. day yeah out of curiosity was that a monday a tuesday Ooh, i don't know what day that fell i think it started like on a sunday yeah, I can't see somebody doing that on Monday. No. How many like shootings at work there be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna take my break. Uh, damn it, never mind. Yeah. yeah, I can give up smoking tobacco for one day. We'll just vape instead. <laughs> exactly, it's not the same. <laughs> Unfortunately, like the day before, everybody was watching like falling down. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that cheeseburger doesn't look the same. <laughs> All right, what do you got for your other story, man? So for my other one. We got the uh, NASA STS-77 space shuttle. Uh, the mission was returning from a 10-day mission out into uh, in, on orbit. Uh, came down the Kennedy Space Center. It was on May 29th when it came back. Uh, while it was at, while it was out there, they had multiple experiments going on. But one of the cooler ones that they had is they had a Coca-Cola fountain dispenser, um, officially a fluid generic biopressing apparatus. Uh, was developed for use on the uh, shuttle as a test bed to determine if carbonated beverages can be produced from separately stored carbon dioxide, water, and flavored syrups and determine if it, the resulting fluids can be made available for consumption without bubble nucleation and resulting foam formation while in space. I, I have three words I knew out of that, but I think somebody out there is going to understand it. <laughs> you lost me at the first one. But at least I think they're basically saying you can you can drink uh you can drink Coca-Cola in space. Ah, good. That'll come in handy. Yeah, you yeah. know. For our, when when Virgin starts sending all of us, you know, tourists out to the space, I think that's going to come in handy. We'll see. Hopefully we're drinking something better than Coke. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Soda at that time. But this was 1996. Some Shasta, you know, go old right. school. You, you use your Coke as a mixer. It's going <laughs> to suck if you get up there. Don't have a mixer because you can't drink any Coke. Well, the real research is can you keep the liquor in, you know, in the uh, the fluid of the of the Coke. So, yeah, there's another research they need to do. But, yeah, a NASA STS-77 space shuttle. All right. 
Oh, and by the way, that was a Friday that those masks started that on. That was a Friday. I thought that was a Saturday. Wow. Oh, that was a Friday. That's rough. <laughs> End the week with no cigarettes. Yeah, that didn't go well. Fucking assholes. No wonder it never went over. <laughs> no. All right, Man Crush, <laughs> what do you got for your news offerings? All right, again, so I had May 24th to the 31st of 1986. And I'm sure Mark will remember this one. Mike, you might have just missed it. You're a couple years younger than us. Carlos, you probably weren't even born yet. You're like 14. <laughs> but uh, close. This was a massive deal at the time, especially if you were in elementary school in 1986 like we were. Uh, I spent seven years in elementary school, and that wasn't because I was stupid. It was just because... <laughs> Well, maybe, but kindergarten, it was a uh, kindergarten through sixth grade at the time. So during those seven years, I only remember like five things. The Challenger exploding. Uh, there was this weird balloon thing that we did where we put these uh, secret messages in balloons and let them off. Yeah. So we basically like littered yep. and got away with it. Uh, I remember getting my picture in the paper for making a paper mache King Tut. I remember puking all over Adam Gomez in sixth grade. <laughs> During class, it's pretty awesome. Do we all know Adam Gomez? I feel like we do. <laughs> Poor bastard. I, to this day, last time I saw him, he still brings it up. Wow. Uh, but number five on May 25th, 1986, I also remember this Hands Across America. And I clearly remember skipping it. It was on a Sunday because I know Mike will probably ask. Uh, our principal wanted us to meet at the park at the school. And my parents were like, hell no, we're not doing that shit. But. Uh, March 25th, 1986, approximately six to seven million other people held hands across the United States from New York to California. The event lasted 15 minutes where you had to hold somebody's sweaty palm for 15 minutes. They raised nearly thirty five million dollars. And this is the weird part of this, though. And I just noticed this after expenses and, quote unquote, operating costs, the event raised Fifteen million dollars that was donated to the homeless to fight hunger. So that extra twenty million dollars all went to operating costs. Think about how handy that would have come in for the food for homeless people. Yeah, yeah welcome to the world of five hundred one c threes. Amazing. <laughs> but each big city along the route had like celebrities in attendance. I got a whole list here. If you guys want to hear them, I'll tell you. But I'm not going to go through them all. There's a lot. The funny thing was, though, that they basically they had this line that went through the center of the country. And it, like I said before, it went from New York to California. So they basically they basically asked out all of New England who were pissed and like the mid what the North Midwest and the South were completely asked out of this. They didn't get to do it. And again, that extra 20 million would have come in handy. But it was a huge deal. This hands across America. How did they go across the Mississippi? Well, they didn't actually hold hands all the way across. <laughs> they, I guess the way that they put it was with all the people they had, once they stretched it, it would have made it all the way across. So, Obviously, they uh, can't okay, so they the didn't really do hands across America. It was just a bunch of people in groups holding hands. Right, but there were they had it like strategically set up where, you know, there would be a line of people in like certain cities uh, okay. that it would it would connect. But yeah, obviously there was a a full stretch all the way across. There were going to be some <laughs> that would be fucking pretty boundaries soon, geographically. Yeah. That would be fucking awesome. We should try that now. Yeah, they should redo it and not take fucking $20 million for operating costs. Absolutely. All right. What do you got for your second story? 
All right. So watch like the first story. Uh, it basically, this is a sign of the 80s. Even though everything was flashy and bigger is better in the 80s, we did have some really cool charitable events like Hands Across America. So my second story just so happens to be another massive charitable event that also occurred on May 25th, 1986. And it probably would have been a much better idea if they had coordinated to get different dates, but instead they occurred at the exact same time. Um, so with this one, uh, Bob Geldof, of course, of Live Aid and Band-Aid fame, uh, he put on another fundraiser for Africa, and this time it was titled Sport Aid. <laughs> um, <laughs> other prominent names that were associated with this uh, Sport Aid were uh, Chris Long and John Anderson, the uh, two dudes with the most generic names possible. They were also the other uh, creators along with Bob Geldof. But you ask me, what is Sport Aid? It was actually bigger worldwide and more profitable than Hands Across America. Around 20 million runners in 76 countries ran a 10K at the same exact time. Uh, and in order to get into the event, you had to get donations and sponsors for the race. And they were able to raise close to $40 million for Live Aid and UNICEF, uh, which is pretty impressive considering that like, Geldof raised close to $130 million during Live Aid, not even a year prior. Uh, but here's the kicker of this whole thing. And this is the reason why I put both stories together. The organization was actually planning to exceed $100 million in donations worldwide. However, the biggest country in the world was holding hands across America simultaneously. And the United States portion of sport aid was basically deemed a failure, uh, especially since they had like this huge ceremony in front of the UN in New York City. They had 4,000 runners in New York City. But the other locations in the United States had far less. Uh, just by uh, comparison's sake, uh, Barcelona had 50,000 runners turn up wow. for the event. Uh, you know, say what you will about Bob Geldof. This dude raised serious money for Africa. Over $20 million for Band-Aid. That's like the uh, Do They Know It's Christmas Time song. Right. Yeah. Uh, $130 million for Live Aid and then another $40 million for Sport Aid. So that's like $200 million in three years. It's fucking crazy wow do you remember during live aid the whole portion where it was like recorded live yeah and they were like giving addresses and he was like don't worry about the fucking addresses just send the money in we need the money <laughs> hey, that dude and it was all because he took a trip to uh to africa and saw the famine that was going on and started this whole shit sure he probably wanted to just become like some famous rock star like bono and shit that became uh you know famous for that kind of stuff but he did a great job all right, so before I give my ruling, we'll go over to Mike Ranger. I gotta be honest with you, man. I'm a little fucking high. What, did, what were your picks again? <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we have? We had uh, Sport Aid, which I don't fucking remember, but uh, the um, the Hands Across America. I I was in preschool when that happened, and I remember us doing. Um, the only reason I remember this is because we did like like traces of our hands. Yep, and we like cut them out. And hung them up, right? Yes, yes. Yep. That that's the only thing I, I I really remember about it. But obviously, that was a big deal. And then, Carlos, what were your picks again? I really am stoned. Uh, I had uh, a <laughs> World No Tobacco Day and NASA STS Space Shuttle. See, the cool thing about the No Tobacco Day, if like you really think about it, the mid mid nineties is really when the anti tobacco movement kind of started. Like that's really where you get it, where it's starting to become more of a trend. Like. 
where do you remember like growing up like you would just be in like a fucking ponderosa and the guy next to you is in the <laughs> non-smoking section you it know was like a half wall section yeah like, there's yeah. still smoke coming over the top people smoked on planes you know That's, like that stopped it that half glass smoking yeah. or non-smoking was like three feet separated yeah you know every car came with a lighter yeah i just had this conversation the other day you know what i really miss smokers windows in cars the little corner windows in the front, those are awesome. I wish they'd start bringing those back in cars. I think Oldsmobile still probably made up up until like 2010, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> they were great. All right, so, Carlos, you had World Tobacco Day and the Space Shuttle, which basically boils down to space soda. Space soda, yeah. Invested all this money just to see if we could drink soda in space. Yeah, it worked out. So that's going up against uh, Hands Across America and Sport Aid. So, I mean, World Tobacco Day, that's, you know, a charitable event trying to get people to stop using tobacco. Decreases the cancer rate in our country. Very good thing. Hands Across America, great effort as well. So those two, I'm going to cancel those each other out. So then that really comes down to saving lives in Africa or space soda. (laughs) You know you're thirsty. Like I said before, though, without space soda, I ain't going to have anything to mix my whiskey with. But those people in Africa don't even have clean fucking water. So, Man Crush, you get this round. Where are we going next? Oh, man. Um, Let's go movies. I know uh, John would be a little disappointed that we're hitting up movies so early. No, but it makes it interesting. You must have zero faith in your movie. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, when we do these week episodes, and we spell week, W-E-A-K sometimes, because it is what it is. Yeah. You don't get the luxury of seeing 30 days worth of movie releases. Instead, we have this small microcosm of the month, and in some weeks, it's, it's hard to choose. I'm not sure what Carlos's month looked like yet, but this happened on the last week episode, which was in the beginning of May. The end of May, it's kind of like an in-between spot for movies because you have your few early summer releases, which are in early May, first week of May, and then it tails off until July. So don't be shocked by these picks. We didn't purposely pull off for mediocrity compared to our normal episodes. Uh <laughs> Honestly, though, I think it makes it more of a challenge to find these things. Hey, so. we bask in the glory of mediocrity. I'm like yes. really excited about this. What do you, what do you got? I know that's a, <laughs> such a buildup, man. I'm hard. All right. So speaking of challenges, <laughs> the movie Space Camp had a sneak preview on May 30th, 1986. Space Camp, it was kind of a box office flop. It only took in $10 million, about $23 million in 2019 on an $18 million budget. The film starred Leah Thompson, Kate Capshaw, Kelly Preston, and a young Joaquin Phoenix. How did Ben say it? Oh, how did he say it? I, now it's like fucking me up because he like butchered his name so bad and was so confident about it. It was like <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> uh, Jesus. Or the next Joker, if you want to look at it that way uh, i actually i really enjoyed this movie as a kid and this was one of those movies that was always on hbo like every other weekend in the late 80s this was always on and if you can get over the plot holes it's a fun movie for the family and shit like if you like 80s movies you should just ignore plot holes anyways yeah <laughs> honestly pretty much it'd yeah. be better to do that 
You'll be oh, happy. it's such a good movie. You'll live a happy your simplicity. life. Uh, now, since this wasn't a juggernaut, juggernaut by any means, but it's a perfect example of what was hot in 1986. Like I mentioned earlier, I hope you caught that, that I said it was a challenge because who remembers <laughs> all the space hype of Challenger in 1986? Like leading up to the horrific day on January 28th, every school kid was getting outer space like jammed down their throats for months leading up to that. That's like all we heard about. And then even after Challenger exploded, like I think we became more enamored with space and NASA. But then let's not forget that it was also the year that we got Haley's Comet that was thrown down our throats. <laughs> you know, it was everywhere. And then, you know, just look at the things that we had for space in 86. Everyone was pushing it, but we got the Challenger exploding. We had like the worst, totally shitty view of Haley's Comet. And then we had the flop of Space Camp in the, and I say it's a flop, but it was a flop in the box office. I think it's the movie has legs. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. And when it first came out, after seeing it, all of us wanted to go to space camp. Yeah, yeah. especially after Double Dare. Oh my god! Oh, they yes. kept tout- that was like the prize. They kept touting that. I- everybody had that one kid in their school who did go to space camp, but no one was really friends with them, so no one really got the true experience. So you just kind of you just knew it happened, but just it just lingered. I said all the kids that lied about going to space exactly. Right. It was a rumor. There was really no space camp. <laughs> you go to space camp. You went to freaking Hebrew camp, and then you went to band camp. <laughs> Fucking liar. That kid got beat up outside. Right. Why are you such a liar? Why are you such a liar? You went to summer camp because your parents are divorced <laughs> and you had nowhere to go. <laughs> you stayed with your grandmother all summer because your parents suck. That's the like the same kid that came to school and told everybody they had a pair of Jordans, but he couldn't wear them because his mom said they were too expensive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're too nice fresh. to wear to school. I had a lot of kids like that. Everyone had Jordans. They just couldn't wear them for some reason. Weird. All right, so on to my second pick. Again, I bring this up every time, but if you do your research online, you get wrong dates for movies. Even IMDb on this one had it released in August of 86, but uh, newspapers.com saved us again because I went and I found actual ads for this on May 30th, 1986, and I'm actually very surprised that I was able to find this one in so many movie theaters in 1986. Now, it wasn't like a full nationwide release, but it was in a lot of movie theaters, a lot of drive-ins. Uh, but on May 30th, 1986, we got the release of the cult classic. Michael loved this one. Hands of Steel. <laughs> oh, he didn't love it as much as I thought he I'm would. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what one that actually is. Let me explain it can, to can, you. Well, maybe. Thank you. Okay. All right. So uh, the tagline for this movie was 30% human, 70% robot, 100% lethal. Who would want to go see that? Wow. That sounds compelling. <laughs> it's actually, uh, if it sounds like something you want to see and you haven't seen it, it's on Amazon Prime right now for free. So you can go watch that. This was actually done by an Italian production company uh, that went by, uh, and they had the name uh, Vendetta del Futuro, which was their name. And then it was also called Atomic Cyborg. And then it was also called Fist of Steel. And then it was also called Return of the Terminator. I'll throw this out there for you. You got a cyborg. You got fighting. You got an obligatory 80s strip club scene. And to top it off, you have multiple arm wrestling matches. So if you're into like 80s drive-in sleaze, this movie is like right up your alley. And lots of sweaty dudes, man. So they stole Everyone's literally sweaty. over the top in this movie? 
yes, they picked it, from. It really sounds like a mashup of over the top and arena. <laughs> it yeah, a little bit. It, not all the way with arena, but some pieces. But in all seriousness, and this was the reason I picked this one, this is the type of movie that would flood the video store for like the next decade. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Hands of Steel, it's the definition of straight to video. That's why I was like shocked that it had such a showing in theaters across the country. Like many straight to video movies, like you you guys mentioned, they sampled from everyone. They took from Terminator, Blade, Blade Runner was a little bit. But most importantly, like I said before, they ripped... From over the top, but they ripped from the idea of over the top because over the top came out in 1987. So they wanted to beat them to the punch. So oh, well, so, well they, you, there you go. And Mike, maybe this will help you out. This was actually a lightning video release when it went to VHS. Oh, well, now you're talking. No, that actually, I, I've actually never seen this. Uh, I just looked at the cover. The cover kind of looks familiar, but it's a, it's on Amazon. Yeah, it's on Amazon. You could, you can check it that, out for free. That is going on the watch list. Yeah, same here. I mean, the cover looks familiar, but it's not one that I ever remember seeing. So yeah, it's basically uh, this chick has a bar that absolutely nothing goes on during the day at the bar. So this guy, I won't give away much of the story, but he yeah, he shows up at the me. bar. He hangs out with her most of the day. At night, all these like truckers and stuff stop by, getting the arm wrestling matches, and then he beats them in the arm wrestling match. So they hate him, and then other like. Bad guys are after him. It's fucking. It's eighties, man. It's eighties straight to video that actually made it to the movie theater. So go check that one out. Hands of Steel, May thirtieth, nineteen eighty six. All right, Carlos, over to you for your movie selections. All right, so May twenty fourth, nineteen ninety six. We got the comedy cult cult classic, I guess you could call it, Spy Heart with Leslie Nielsen. Um, this was the um. Introdu- the introduction had Weird Al, which is a parody of Thunder, the uh, James Bond Thunderball, which I always liked. You know, going back to YouTube to watch that one. Uh, it was written by Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer. They would go on to write and direct future parody movies like Date Movie, Epic Movie, Meet the Spartans, Disaster Movie, and Starving Games. So apparently, all oh, those all were those movies. Good movies. I thought I, I knew date movie and epic movie I, and I guess meet the Spartans, but the other two, uh, they lost me there. Uh, but the movie, you know, kind of got generally negative reviews, um, but a lot of people praised Leslie Nielsen's uh, acting and humor. Most found the script and the story a little disappointing. Uh, it only grossed twenty six million against an eighteen million dollar budget, so you know, not a bo- box office. Uh, juggernaut it opened number three against uh mission impossible and uh twister which i mean that's a those are two tough ones to go up against uh, so yeah just a little bit over 26 million um but it's it's got about an eight percent on rotten tomatoes but you know of course didn't slow leslie nielsen down he went on to do like mr magoo and wrongly accused wrongfully accused the scary movies three and four so uh until his death in 2010 which was always uh one of the one of the ones that hit you a little harder than others oh, um but uh but yeah so spy hard all right good pick i i liked spy hard yeah it wasn't terrible it was it was middle ground i'd say I went to go see it in the movie theaters. Matter of fact, I still have my movie stub from the the original showing of Spy Hard in 96. Nice. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why I kept that. I have a, a stash of old movie stubs, and I know there's a Spy Hard one in there somewhere. 
Yeah, it's one of those I kept all my ticket stuff thinking, I'm going to do something special with these. And then just one day, I just threw them in the trash. Like, it's just like hundreds of them. Like, you know what? I'm going to do something great with these. It's going to be on a wall. And then, fuck it, gone. Yeah. Um, so the next one I had uh, was the Charlie Sheen-driven movie called The Arrival. Came out on May 31st, 1996. So this is like peak coked up Charlie Sheen. You know, he's already done Major <laughs> League. I'm not sure. I can't remember if Major League 2 has come out yet. Uh, but uh, this is a pretty interesting movie. It's based, uh, it's a, an American Mexican science fiction horror. It was the guy, David Twarhi was the director. He did the, the Riddick trilogy and written for like Waterworld and The Fugitive and Alien 3. Uh, so it had Charlie Sheen and then Ron Silver. Who was like the asshole politician from Time Cop? Do you guys remember that? Oh yeah, when he gets Definitely. he gets thrown into himself and all he's that. He's always stuff. an asshole. Yeah, he's always a dick. And then uh, the character actor Richard Richard Schiff is in it as well. Uh, so basically, uh, what it is is he's a radio Charlie Sheen's a radio astronomer who discovers evidence of an intelligent alien life and quickly gets thrown to uh, the middle of this conspiracy between the place that he works and like going on with the government. And, you know, he gets fired and he starts, of course, uncovering things on his own. Uh, and then he ends up, you know, finding out there's like there's alien bases on Earth and like crazy shit's going down. And the movie was actually pretty good. And it got it got 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics and fans actually did like it. And it only made $14 million on $25 million budget. And the main reason, basically, is because the marketing campaign for Independence Day, which is coming out the next month, was getting so hyped up that it just took over the marketing for the arrival. So I remember watching this on HBO a lot, just kind of always intrigued, wondering why it wasn't like a bigger hit because I was like, you know, Charlie Sheen's not terrible in this. The movie, the CGI is not bad. The concept, uh, it's it's got a lot of twists and conspiracies and kind of kind of opens your mind about, you know, thinking about what could actually happen, what the government is doing. Uh, so I think it's a pretty good movie. And like I said, the critics and a lot of people did like it. It's just uh, it went against uh, Independence Day. And that's really what's the uh, the downfall. And that's that's usually the shitty thing in Hollywood. It's the timing. If it's bad timing, uh, it just it doesn't work out. So yeah. what was the release date of Independence Day? Wasn't it July like third, fourth or fifth or whatever? That Yeah. So it was like a yeah. full month away still. But that but the marketing like they were just like the the, the marketing was going crazy with it. So you're saying that people were uh, holding on to their money for an entire month? Apparently, <laughs> man. This is hey, this is this is uh, on multiple articles. There's like, yeah, Independence Day was getting getting the you know people's attention. Apparently, I've never even heard of the <laughs> when you said that movie. I was like, I thought you were talking about the shit that came out like a couple of years ago. Wasn't it, and uh, it always does get um, you know the one with um, what's her face. Amy Adams. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's. I was like, dude, you're fucking way off, bro. <laughs> like that's, that's 2017. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. This is that's a rifle. This is the rifle. So that's uh, that. It's kind of like the the at the ice cube. Dun, 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 dun. That's you know, that. that they were trying to uh, recruit all the fans of the arrival and trick them into exactly. Going to see They're like, we're going to get that that uh, that <laughs> that fan group into this. So that demographic of those, all those fans. <laughs> all right, let's judge this movie's round. This is a tough one. This one's a lot closer than you think. Do you want any other information? Do you Jeez. want to know like the top ten movies of the month? Will anything help you? Make a decision man. on this. I I don't know, man. I think see, uh, you, you can look at them two ways here. Like you've got, 
See, the thing with Spy Hard is, I think by that time in Leslie Nielsen's career, he had become so synonymous with the parody yeah. that I was getting sick of it. I don't know about anybody else at, at that point, because he had yeah. done, like, yeah. how many Naked Gun movies, uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, he's in Repossessed, he's, he, every movie he does, for the most part, you almost know what the plot's going to be. The Arrival, I, I or I've never even heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> Came out in 2016. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think I, I know. know. I think I know how I'm going to have to judge this one. Spy Hard I saw in the theaters. So that gets major, major points because I actually paid money to see this one. Space Camp, I always caught on TV, on cable. I don't know if I ever rented that. Now, Hands of Steel, I'm very disappointed that's not a movie about a robotic cyborg Roberto Duran. It's close. It's close. It's close. And The Arrival, I remember that movie, seeing it in the video stores all the time. I'd read the back of the box, look at the photo. And put it down. And put it down. It did not (laughs) catch my interest. Unlike the description Man Crush gave me of Hands of Steel, I am going to go watch this. So I got to give this round to the 80s. Whoa. Hands of fucking steel, baby. Go watch this shit on Amazon Prime. Plug, plug, plug. Another thing I didn't mention is the fact that Leah Thompson's in Space Camp. Huge bonus points just for that. Hey, give me bonus points for digging that one, because (laughs) if you look around the Internet of what they actually post that was released that week, you won't get good answers. Like shit's all over the place. Movie Web actually listed. um, Fuck. What's the name of that movie? I'm going blank right now. The Kurt Russell fucking movie. Backdraft. I told you about this. No, 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 no. (laughs) They didn't have backdrafts coming out in 1986. <laughs> Escape from New York? Overboard. No, no. Fucking Christ. The John Carpenter flick. The Thing. No. From 1986? Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China. I'm fucking, Jesus, I'm I'm not even high and I couldn't remember that. But <laughs> they worry. actually, uh, Movie Web listed that as released the week that I had. And that's totally incorrect. Couldn't find it in any newspaper. Movie web is almost always wrong. Oh, God. It's awful how yeah. bad that is. Yeah. Uh, but I did find this was a sneak peek release uh, because they were trying to get eyes on this movie. They wanted people to see this movie. So, yeah. Space Camp. I mean, that was a big movie when we were kids. I remember everybody talking about that and everybody asked their parents or begged their parents to go to Space Camp after seeing that movie, only to be let down to find out that once you get there, Leah Thompson's not really there. <laughs> All right, what's the next category? Over to the champion, Man Crush. Let's go with television, just because I don't know what Carlos has. So I'm kind of hoping that this was one of his two-pointers. I don't know. But after nine seasons and 244 episodes, The Love Boat finally docked for the final time. Mike just looked at he just had a sigh. Uh, May 24th, 1986, ABC decided to pull the plug on the ship and its crew. Love Boat was a perennial top 20 sitcom for ABC. Uh, season five was actually its most watched. It was number five in the ratings that year, which was, uh, I think, 1980. But they had lots of years in the beginning, too, where there was top 10 before sputtering out close to 1986. The interesting thing here, though, is the show, it ended with a final episode on May 24th. However, the show went to syndication and four more episodes actually aired in the fall of 1986. 
as like hour long, uh, like kind of specials. I think they did four of them. Uh, however, after that, this should get me the round right here. UPN did a spinoff in 1988 or 1998 did, called uh, Love Boat the Next Wave. And somehow they convinced Robert Urich that it was a good idea. And uh, they, they had that. Uh, and you also you'll you'll see these characters. You know, they make cameo appearances all the time. I'm sure you've seen Isaac pop up in sitcoms or on commercials over the past like 30 years. I see him all the time. And I do remember he had a uh, sex advice column in FHM magazine back in the day. Wow. Kudos to old Isaac. Uh, But if you're not familiar with Love Boat, it's basically a show about hooking up on a with single chicks on a cruise ship. And the uh, (laughs) everybody that works on the ship is like trying to get you to hook up with people. That's pretty much what Love Boat is. So, yeah, it's it's in the show lyrics. Come aboard. It really is. <laughs> Dude, Jack Jones was Jack Jones was a motherfucker with that fucking theme song. It was exciting and new. Love boat. Soon we'll be taking another run. Dude, you know what the best part of Love Boat is? The best thing in the world that Love Boat gave us was uh Summer Rental, fucking the part in Summer Rental where John Candy has to say he's singing the song with fucking <laughs> Captain Scully. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> With his damn plastic cast. The love bone promises something for everyone. Soon we'll be making another run. See, the only thing <laughs> I remember about the love boat was Isaac and Charo. That's about it. Charo was on quite a bit. Charo's yeah. the best. All she was on was Love Boat and Hollywood Squares. Yep. That's all I remember her from. And a shitload of like variety shows in the 70s. Yeah. Like the Carol Burnett show. Yep. She was on The Love Boat, Hollywood Squares, and unfortunately, Not My Lap. Whoa. <laughs> that escalated quickly. This is the year we make morning sizzle, not fizzle. Let's do McDonald's. Let's start biscuit buttering and sausage sizzling. Let's do eggs and all our favorites. Let's get brewing and premium roast sipping. Let's make a resolution to wake up breakfast. Right now, get a sausage biscuit with egg for just $2 and any size McCafe premium roast coffee for a buck. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. All right. Well, this next show has a chick in it that you'd probably want in your lap. Oddly enough with this show, this was a uh, a mid-season replacement in 1982. So if you look this up, it's got a strange debut date. That's why I had to go back and look this up. But it was uh, their debut date was March 13th for the show, which is really rare. And it's especially it's rare for a show that lasted five seasons. It lasted four on ABC before it was dumped in 1985. But then CBS picked it up for the final season. And I I find it always interesting when that happens, when one network drops it and another one picks it up, kind of like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where Fox dumped it and NBC picked it up. Sometimes it can get better. Sometimes it just squanders. In this case, it, it squandered and they ended it. That said, though, it, it didn't really uh, go too far in this particular case because on May 28th, 1986, the William Shatner, Heather Locklear classic police drama, TJ Hooker came to a close after five seasons and 91 episodes. TJ Hooker rode off into the sunset, probably became an alcoholic. The cool thing about the series, though, is I think you got to see William Shatner as something other than Captain Kirk. Yeah. You know, we saw him in like lots of commercials. He had lots of cameos over the years, but you never really saw him as anything but Captain Kirk until this point. 
I mean, there were a couple like hokey roles he had, like Barbary Coast and things like that. But mostly it was Kirk or cameos. And I don't think actually you didn't get anything to like 20 years later. Remember, he was on Boston Legal. Right. So this was like his other role that he had. When you, you think of William Shatner, he has two defining roles. It's pretty much Star Trek and TJ Hooker. Yeah, this was the show where everybody realized, I don't really like William Shatner. <laughs> he's, he's kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he was a he was a tough cop, man. He was a lieutenant that saw his uh spoiler, saw his uh partner get shot in the first episode and then <laughs> stops being a lieutenant and becomes like a beat cop and trains these rookie cops. I can't remember the other dude's name who is a co-star with him. I could picture his face, but I can't remember his name. Should have looked it up. But yeah, it's not a terrible show, but it like it's a cult show. People know TJ Hooker, of course, because of Shannon and Locklear. All right. I'm interested to hear this one. Carlos, what do you got for TV? Final week of May 1996. Man, this was a tough one. I'll tell you that. <clears throat> so. There wasn't much going on in the last week of May 1996. Uh, so what I could come up with was Beverly Hills 90210 had a two-part back-to-back episode uh, aired on May 23rd, 1996. Uh, so the premise of the episode apparently is there is a birthday party that is planned aboard a boat where the most 1996 band ever is playing, the Goo Goo Dolls. Was going to perform for a full-grown man's birthday party. What man would want Johnny Resnick? And like normal, there's a love triangle and an FBI and agent involved in some investigation. These are all side plots to what's the birthday party. The birthday party is the main focus, but the FBI agent and the love triangle, those are just the B, C plots. Who's the birthday party for? I think it was for... Chris, I it's not, I was going to put names out, but you know what? I didn't even care that much. <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to put the most basic premise of this episode. That sounds like David would like that. It's got to yeah, be was... Dylan's. <laughs> well, oh. Yeah, oh. Dylan was part of the love triangle. So that yeah, was he was probably on. doing heroin in the bathroom. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, May 23rd, 1996, they had, for whatever reason, this was a two-part episode that was aired on the same night. Why couldn't they just make this one full hour? I'm not sure. They just did two 30-minute episodes. Dude, that's like the most 90s thing ever. <laughs> yeah, it is. That whole thing, that is just, that's great. That's a Fox thing, too. Right? That, that's just oh, such totally. a- That's what you think of when you think of the 90s. Back-to-back 30-minute episodes. Fox? Yeah. You know, no, there's just, there's just something like that. Like fucking Goo Goo Dolls being on an episode of 90210. That's yeah. just like- yeah, it's very, very 96. And so uh, I'm sure they, they sang Iris over and over because that's pretty much the only <laughs> song anybody knows at that point about them. And so that was the first thing. Uh, the second one doesn't get any better. Uh, so that was the host of E.T., John Tesh. His final day was on May 30th, 1996. And for those of you who don't know who John Tesh is, I don't either. I don't think anybody <laughs> does. Um, Dude, he's an excellent what? musician. I mean, I don't know I'm who joking. he was. I just remember it's the same the same dude with the stash. What's his name for the longest time? Oh, Mario Lopez. Well, well until Mario came. But it was that one guy the with the uh, porn stash. 
but yeah, apparently, yes, I read about, you know, John Cheshire's musical career. He's got other other talents that he had done before he was a, a host. But yeah, he was, it was his last day. He was there for about a decade or so, or no, a couple of years, actually. Uh, and then um, out 1996, May 30th. And that was the highlight of the last week of May 1996. So this is this is awesome. You know what's amazing about 90210? <laughs> After they left high school, it was a shit show. Yeah. Literally. It was just like all these side plots, like you were saying before, that basically defined 90210 once they left high school. Yeah, but if they didn't leave high school, would, would Brian Austin Green drop an album? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And only you would yeah. bring that up for the third time on one of these episodes. Because people need to remember, man. <laughs> <laughs> remember. Keep keep him in their hearts. David Silver. <laughs> We're going to go to Mike's house someday, and he's going to have the framed like platinum record of Brian Austin Green's rap album. It's signed by him and David Babyface. Got like an autograph poster. <laughs> To Mike, with all my love, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a soggy dream come true. It is. All right. Let's get to the ruling on this one. But before we do, Mike, you got any comments on this round? Obviously, uh, you've got, like, Man Crush's picks. You've got got TJ Hooker ending. And uh, what was the other show I'm high Love Boat. Love Boat. (laughs) The the Love Boat. The Love Boat. (laughs) I mean, they're too big big shows coming coming to a close but that 90210 thing is just like it's just so fucking 90s it really is it's just like it, it, i i feel like in a lot of ways that maybe like is a it's just a rep- representation of the decade yeah that's just cool it's not a good thing no but the, you know there's a lot of not so many good things about the 90s it's not a good thing at all i mean the point of the show is 80s or 90s like you don't want to pick something that's complete garbage some people like it i had a friend who had uh, brandon's haircut i'm not saying it was a te- like i said i think it was a good show until they left high school and then it was just like what are we doing see i like the later years better man once tiffany amber Thiessen showed up oh the eye candy was better but the show itself is abomination man like it's actually funny when uh we were looking through old vhs tapes of uh my wife's i found one that said on the label 90210 episode whatever dylan drinks that's what it says it's it's like every episode wow that's (laughs) like you really narrowed it down dylan drinks and loses his car his dad's pissed <laughs> did he even have fucking parents i don't know they owned a hotel didn't they or something i don't know I don't yeah his know. dad was in fucking prison oh that's right yeah and then his dad got out of prison and that's how he met the noxima chick and hooked up with her and spoilers she gets shot by in a mob hit <laughs> that's on a 90210 which is not the first shooting death on that show not at all no do you remember the first one it involved david silver was he defending uh donna's honor i mean you guys are very knowledgeable for this shitty show (laughs) in the early years you know what the most (laughs) horrible horrific episode worst thing that ever happened on the show was when you know the episode with plagiarism brandon Uh, was he was pissed i don't remember that one well his friend steve stole one of his papers you know, Brandon oh, no. was it was a big journalism guy. You know, he was crushed. I only know this because I watched one all day marathon. That's the only reason. Just to answer my own question, it was actually David Silver's best <laughs> yeah. friend who shot himself trying to 
spin the gun on his hand and killed himself in front of David. Do you not remember this? Remember I don't David's remember that. dorky best friend before David got cool. He had can't remember what the fucking kid's name was, like Ryan or some shit. He always wore a hat. He had like blonde hair. And he fucking offed himself by accident trying to show David that he had a gun. He could spin it on his finger. That ever happened to TJ Hooker? Did that happen to TJ Hooker? Yeah. Man, he killed bad guys, bro. He's spinning around and cocaine come out the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to a ruling. We got, we got to move this on. All right. Oh, this is a tough one. This one is neck and neck for me. Uh, I never watched The Love Boat. I just couldn't get into that show. Never watched TJ Hooker either. Uh, did watch Nano 210, so I really am leaning, really leaning to the 90s on this I one. Still I still owe you a punch in the fucking mouth. There's, there's another one. <laughs> My fist is getting warm. If uh, that's But uh, I'll tell you something, though. I was 100% on the 90s side on this one until you told me you didn't know who the fuck John Tesh was. <laughs> Carlos, you have a 90s-themed podcast, but you don't know who John Tesh was. When I saw the face, I remembered him, but I just don't know much about him. John Tesh was the voice of pop culture with Mary Hart on Entertainment Tonight. See, I didn't watch. I didn't watch Entertainment Tonight. That was the thing. Oh, man, I was watching Nickelodeon in 1996. Wow! So for that fact alone, and the fact that those two other shows did come to an end, and that's kind of big. I hate to do it, but Man Crush, you take this round again. Should I just log out now, or how do we want to end this? What's going on? <laughs> All right, man, Chris, you take a 3 nothing lead in this matchup. What's the next category going to be? Okay, now at this point, I guess it doesn't matter. It's just what I want to finish on. Let's go to sports. All right. excited over this one. All right, start us off with sports. May 30th, 1986, at the Stampede Corral, a young man by the name of Owen Hart made his professional wrestling debut in a tag team match with Bruce Hart against Scott and Gamma. Tickets for this event were only six bucks. What a deal. Wow. <laughs> As we all know, like Owen Hart, he died of that horrific death nearly 10 years after his debut. That actually happened May 23rd, 1999 at the Over the Edge pay-per-view. Obviously, it's sad on all levels. However, like Owen was like a really talented wrestler that never got to step into his brother's shoes. He had like some awesome matches over the years. You hear all kinds of pro wrestlers say that they inspired them to become wrestlers themselves. Uh, his feud with his brother in 94, where he did the whole, was that the black, that was black heart, right? Where he was like the bad heart. He was. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like 94 ish. That was awesome. If, and matter of fact, if he just kept going with that whole black heart thing, which was awesome, he was awesome as a heel. He might've never died. If they never switched in this stupid blue blazer, which I never really liked to begin with, I thought it was goofy. You know, unfortunately, that's that led to these chain of events. And what's even more sad about the whole thing is the fact that he's not in the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, there's been talks for years about that, but the, the family doesn't want to put him in. It's actually his wife. It's his wife. It's and, his yeah. wife, Martha. Does, she's been at odds with WWE, which you can understand since he died. But even Brett has been on record saying that she's holding back his legacy right. by not, you know, allowing him to just be inducted. And even I think it was last year when I watched the Hall of Fame induction, Mark Henry ha basically gave up yeah. most of his speech to talk about putting Owen in the Hall of Fame because I guess they were like riding partners and shit like that. And they were really close. But this is a guy that he was a USWA world heavyweight champion, 
two-time Intercontinental Champion, four-time Tag Team Champion, both of those in WWF. Uh, of course, the Stampede British Commonwealth Mid-Heavyweight mid Champion and a one-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. And it was kind of cool. I found that in a newspaper. I found the, uh, the ad. I'll post this. Uh, when we release this episode, I'll, I'll throw it on our Instagram or our Facebook because it's kind of cool. I had five bouts that night. You had a ladder match with $3,500 suspended above a 20-foot ladder with two guys I've never heard of, Honky Tonk Wayne. Uh, you had Bad News Allen going against uh, Strangler DeSalvo. Uh, you had a Battle of the Giants. And then, actually, Chris Benoit was also on this card in a tag team wow. match. Well, Honky Tonk Wayne, that could be Roy Wayne Ferris, also known as the Honky Tonk Man. It doesn't look like him from the picture. Oh, there's a picture? Yeah, oh, okay. there's a picture. That's Maybe it is. It's black and white, so it's hard to make out. It could be a young one. Yeah, you know what? Maybe it is him young. Is he black or white? The, the paper's black and white, so th there's not much detail in the face, man. Gotcha. All right. So anyhow, like moving on. That, I thought that was a good one. It was, it was fun to find that one. I was always a fan of Bret Hart. Uh, well, actually, I was a fan of Bret Hart, too, but I was also a fan of Owen Hart uh, in the 90s. Uh, the next one, May 30th, 1986, same day. We get the much-anticipated debut of a the son of an all-time great baseball player. Uh, he was drafted the year prior, and the Pittsburgh Pirates could not wait to get this guy called up to the main roster, and he would be the cornerstone of the franchise for the next seven seasons. And the man I'm talking about here is Barry Bonds. Uh, you know, I think it's a travesty, in my opinion, that this guy is not in the Hall of Fame. But he ended his career with 762 home runs, most ever. He had 73 in one season in 2001. He won the MVP seven times. It's a complete farce that he's not in. I mean, seriously, yeah. the entire 90s, everybody and their mother was taking steroids. No, nah, he was. He, the thing is, like, you can tell when he started, you could see it in his body. Yeah. Um, and, and he was good anyway. Yeah. He's, he's one of like, those guys that was just good anyway. Yeah. He didn't need the steroids. He could have made it to the Hall of Fame without the steroids. Yeah. It's one of those things that I, there's multiple things here. Number one, you talk about a guy that was bred for greatness. He's the son of Bobby Bonds. He's a cousin of Reggie Jackson and his godfather is Willie Mays. What fucking steroids do you need? He was great. And I actually got to, I went to a Met game where, um, against the Pirates and I got to see him in a Pirates uniform and it was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And you know, like everyone talks about the home run record. Here's a record that steroids won't help him with. The guy was walked 2,558 times in one season. He was walked 232 times. There's not an active player in the major leagues that's even a thousand walks from that record. It's never going to be broken. And that's not even just all like intentional walks. This guy, I have his stats in front of me. He barely struck out. It's crazy. The highest strikeouts he had in a, in a year was his rookie season at 102, and it just went down. I mean, he had years 54, 51, 41 in 2004 but like that doesn't even happen anymore i it, it, to put that into some kind of perspective that is to it, to only strike out like what did you say 41 41 times 41 the guy played almost every fucking day think about i, I loved how many at bats that season was 373 at bats fuck dude 40 that's such a low number man it's that's crazy incredible but I mean, you even look at like his like mid 90s years 
the guy averaged 40 home runs, over 40 home runs, like every year, yeah. except for the one year he hit 73. He really should be in. Listen, my whole thing with the steroids thing, and I, I won't make this take too long, the biggest, the pinnacle event of baseball in the past 20 years was the Sosa-McGuire race, and that yeah. was all fucking steroids. That saved baseball. That's yeah, exactly. That saved baseball. There hasn't been yeah. anything like that since. So who cares if these guys did it? Because yeah, everybody was doing it. Right. Everybody was doing it. So we just know when we look at the record books, that particular era, everyone was juiced. Yeah. You just you just take that into consideration. And it was exciting baseball. Yeah, it was. It was much watched baseball. It was it was an era where people were watching other other teams play. Yep. You know, like and that doesn't happen in baseball. That happens in almost every other sport but baseball. You know, like yeah. who watches other teams play? Unless you're in like New York or Chicago, California, where you have multiple teams in your state. Well, who the hell has time to watch e- other teams? Exactly, it's totally different. Yeah, it's it's really it's stupid. Uh, the whole thing. Just let these guys in the damn Hall of Fame. Like, come yeah. on, it's enough already. But those are my two. We got the debut of Barry Bonds, and then we have the debut of Owen Hart. All right, Carlos, over to you for sports. All right, let's see here. So uh, May 27th, 1996, we had the Chicago Bulls eliminating the Orlando Magic in the Eastern Conference Finals in a 4-0 gentleman's sweep. Michael Jordan finished with 45 points. Dennis Rodman grabbed himself. The Worm got himself 14 rebounds, and Scottie Pippen had himself eight assists. Uh, this was Jordan's second season coming back uh, from retirement. And uh, and Shaquille was in his fourth year. Uh, he finished with 28 points. And the Bulls went on to beat the Seattle Supersonics with Gary Payton, Sam Perkins, and Nate McMillan to win their fifth championship title with Jordan. People, Many people speculate since Shaq had been uh, – Maybe had his his attention divided because they're uh, doing promotions for his his cult classic Kazam that was being released uh, just a month later uh, for that summer summer release. That was Sinbad. That wasn't Shaq. All right, you don't you don't you don't know the joke. Never mind. <laughs> I got it. He was I really thinking it. about it. There. He's like, "Was that really Sinbad?" I was like, "Wait, uh, I saw the pictures." Yeah. <laughs> so yes, that uh, that was the the speculation. But you know, it's just they had the Bulls were a better team. Shaq was, of course, a youngin, but still on his way to to dominance. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Jordan coming back from baseball second season at forty five points. I mean, I think well, they got one more championship after that for their six. The Magic were coming up strong. They hadn't gotten Hardaway yet. I think that was the next year, but they're still holding strong. So they had Shaq for like at least the last three years, three or four years. All right, what do you got for your second? Entry? So the second one was the Colorado Avalanche uh, eliminate the Detroit Red Wings on May 29th, 1996 to advance to the 1996 Stanley Cup. Uh, So this was the first playoff between the two teams. And Game 6 became famous in in the history, I guess, between these teams because uh, at 14.07 of the first period, Detroit forward Chris Draper was down along the half boards and then at at center ice. And then Colorado forward Claude Lemieux checked him, uh, checked his head from behind into the edge of the bench, uh, sent Draper to the hospital. He had a broken jaw. 
shattered cheek, or, orbital bone, uh, which required surgery and stitches, and he did not return to play until the middle of the you know the next season, basically. Uh, so while Lemieux was assessed a five-minute major penalty uh, and uh, a game misconduct match penalty for the hit, the Avalanche went on to win 4-1 and, com- and, and completed the, the upset. Uh, so this hit on Draper you know, was a catalyst for the Detroit-Colorado rivalry that apparently is still heated to this day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what really what tipped it off. Yeah, I remember watching that Colorado game. 96 was a fantastic year for sports. That whole hockey rivalry, you know, we talked about the pinnacle of uh, baseball being popular during the steroid era. I think that was the height of hockey is when we had that that big rivalry. And uh, and then the Bulls beating the Orlando Magic. I watched that entire series, of course, because I was a huge Orlando Magic fan. Uh, but Carlos, you were wrong. Anthony Hardaway actually came in in the 93-94 season, not the 96-97 season. So they had Penny that series. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's when they had Penny and Horace Grant, Nick Anderson, Shaquille O'Neal, Anthony Hardaway. My favorite all-time basketball lineup right there was the 96 Orlando Magic team. Definitely rocked the little pennies for sure. Oh, yeah. So we're going to look at that versus uh, what Man Crush had for sports. Hey, one one thing, Mike, I was incorrect when I was reading this before. It actually was 617 at-bats. And only 41 strikeouts. Oh 41 strikeouts. You know, what? the reason I said 373 is because he had 232 walks that year. So that erases those at-bats, and he gets plate appearances at 373. So That's crazy, man. That is ridiculous. All right, so Mike Ranger, what do you got for input on this round? I mean, on one hand, you're you're getting the debut of like two major, like two icons within like their perspective, their individual sports. Um, and then, uh, I mean, oh, you're you're getting like just basically like. Um, two teams uh, advancing in the playoffs uh, with the bull. You know, the thing with the bulls is it's their It's their, during their second three Pete. Right. And, it, and it's the, yeah. they're on their ways. But um, I remember that magic team though. Yeah. That was like the year where I thought maybe they might be able to do something. Um, As far as like the, uh, the, the hockey thing, I don't really, I, I wasn't really watching hockey at the time I was playing it. I definitely had like NHL 95 on my Genesis. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I think, I, the, I think that these are two huge debuts and it's kind of hard to not think about that. That's why I, I didn't go that route when I picked this, this round, this, this go through. And I noticed when you guys did it at the beginning of May, I want to try to find something that transcended the years instead of just finding something that we wouldn't remember. I had a Stanley Cup end in my week, but I didn't pick that because nobody fucking remembers who won the Stanley Cup in 1986. But we all remember Barry Bonds and Owen Hart. So it just trumped a, a single series. So, But at that point, even though they're Hall of Famers, that was just their debut. They hadn't really accomplished anything. They were just two schmoes Are starting. You just so- stop, because you fucked this up the last time when you took <laughs> a fucking 
like Weird Al's third squandering album that wasn't even a big album over his first ever performance. This is when they start. <laughs> this is yeah. These are like monumental dates. All right, that, all right. Yeah. Pipe, pipe down, man crush. Pipe oh, you're, down. Yeah, you get me nervous here. You got the debut of Owen Hart and Barry Bonds. You know, I, I just don't think there's anything that's just going to top that. I got to go with the 80s again. I hate to do it. I saw in Mark's eye. I saw the glimmer in your eye that you were like, I'm going to keep this close. I really, <laughs> I really wanted to give it to Carlos because it's not often we get to talk about Shaquille O'Neal, the Orlando Magic, and specifically that 96 roster team that I love so much. But you got the fact wrong that Anthony Hardaway was on the team, much like you fucked up the John Tesh thing. So, Man Crush, you win again. Come on, you can't give me a round because he met. My things are still better than that. <laughs> you would have won the round anyway. The Anthony Hardaway thing is just a little salt in the wound. You know, I think, though, had if it had been the Bulls on the rise to their the first time, like the first time they were going into the three if it was 23 jordan and not 45 jordan this would have been a little bit different even though i'm an orlando fan that bulls team was huge the hockey thing was huge just because you know i grew up in new england hockey was huge then i had a lot of hockey friends and family so we watched a lot of hockey and i remember it was very popular at that time so that was big for me personally i don't think it was as monumental as Barry Bonds debuting or Owen Hart. So I got to go there. All right. What's the score of this one? It's a goose egg. Oh, that's just fucking mean, man. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't even get get a fucking pity round, huh? Jesus Christ. Hold on. Well, we got one more left. We got one more left. We have not had a shutout since we've been doing this game. I'm feeling pretty good about my music selection. Are we going to get a shutout in our very first ever title defense i don't know 96 is a great year for music it really is oh man i don't, I don't know the way this game's going i don't think it matters <laughs> no, no, no. Every, every round counts that's right uh, right. trust me i lose every week <laughs> mike's the washington generals of this game. <laughs> all right man crush do you want to start off this round or do you want to defer uh i'll just start it off i mean, like what's the point at this point (laughs) 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 all right so uh for my first pick in music um you know i'm gonna go with something that usually doesn't indicate a very solid selection uh because it's a soundtrack but even with this being a soundtrack it still ended up selling five million copies going five times platinum in the process which is not really something that you get from a soundtrack too often but in this case you do so may 24th 1986 we got the highly anticipated release of Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive soundtrack. And why was this highly anticipated? Because the entire soundtrack was the author's favorite band. That's right. It was ACDC, International Rock Superstars. But even more over than that, they really hadn't had a commercial success for like five years at this point. Because you had, in between there, you had Flick the Switch and Fly on the Wall, which actually both went platinum. But if you listen to those albums before, it's like ACDC on autopilot. It's nothing inspiring. Like, there's no songs that you want to, like, play on repeat or anything like that. Yeah, it's not 74 Jailbreak, that's for sure. It's, it's not good stuff. So people were, like, really 
they wanted something big to come out from ACDC. And they did it perfectly with this album because they had the uh, the featured track, Who Made Who. And then the, the only originals that were on there were Who Made Who. And then there was two instrumentals. You had uh, Chasey Ace and DT. And actually, DT was supposed to have lyrics, but they didn't have enough time to put it out. So it just came out as an instrumental. And they're actually both really cool. But on top of that, it was a compilation of their hits. You had Shook Me All Night Long on there, Hell's Bells, For Those About to Rock. So they did it right. They put songs together people wanted to know, wanted to see or wanted to see wanted to hear and a movie that people wanted to see but this is my big thing about the soundtrack we really have to face the music on this one because if this album wasn't connected to this movie imagine watching maximum overdrive without the soundtrack in it <laughs> it would be just picture wow. like the typical like 80s filler music it would just not be the same I kind of want that. someone to do that on YouTube now. Oh, man. Dump out all the music and just put in, like, generic, generic stock <laughs> 80s. It wasn't, like, a great movie to begin with. It's fun to watch, but it's fun because you had all these ACDC songs that really, like, spruced up all the scenes. And if you took that out, that movie would just be, I don't know. I don't want to call it trash. It just would be subpar. It would be in, like, a straight-to-video movie. But think of, like, all the things you could replace it with. Like, now I'm thinking, like, fucking Maximum Overdrive and, like, wham, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Let's do it. I think I'm going to work on that. I'm going to redo a scene. <laughs> like, the goblin truck is, like, on the rampage. That or the soda cans or whatever, man. Just oh, fucking, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be great. That whole long intro with the soda cans and the bridge. It, like, all of a sudden you just hear, like, oingo boingo. It's a weird science. <laughs> we're, we're from my heart, from my heart. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Dude, that is should, what I'm going to do. Oh, that sounds great. Fucking amazing. Put it on All the right. website. <laughs> Let me move on to my second pick. They're actually, like, believe it or not, like as far as releases go, there wasn't a lot during this week. So I dug a little bit deeper. May 24th, 1986. And I picked this one for a couple of reasons. And this was one of them. This is how I found it. In the now defunct Concord Hotel in Kayamisha Lake, New York, the Monkees kicked off their 20th anniversary reunion tour. Actually, it's you, you laugh, but this was actually one of the top grossing tours of 1986. That's not why I'm laughing. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I didn't know if it was that or it was because of the Concord Hotel. Holy um, shit. But actually, they didn't really start the tour then. They started on May 30th in Atlantic City. That's the actual kickoff to the tour. They actually practiced for a week doing their full sets at the Concord Hotel in Kaimisha Lake. I guess they were figuring we could warm up here and fuck up and nobody's going to be here because that's like really the down. Like, Oh, that's the really, end. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's going to the Catskills. So that's who the, the end, fuck yeah. was there? So I thought that was hilarious. Um. But uh, yeah, like aside from uh, the Concord, the tour, it was originally booked at a bunch of smaller venues for about a month. And then the crowd started to get bigger and bigger and the ticket sales became astronomical. They became hard to find tickets to the show. So they started to book the band in like large stadiums and amphitheaters. And they did this for seven months straight in over 100 cities. That's, yeah. that's a long time for a guy for. Well, it was actually three of the guys because. um Mike Nesmith didn't tour with them. He had like prior uh, business engagements or whatever. So it was only Mickey Dolan's Davy Jones and Peter Tork. 
But the, these guys, ha- they broke up in 1971. And for these guys to get together and have like such a monumental tour. And the really cool thing is then a month later, and I actually had this album, they released uh, Then and Now, The Best of the Monkeys. But that came out in, in June. But it was basically they did it because this tour started out and people were starting to go to the tour and get excited about it. And then they made a video for this that they played on MTV all the time that year for uh, that was then this is now was the name of the song that they had on MTV. And because of that, it led to seven of the nine monkeys albums to make appearances in the billboard top 200. And by the end of 86 rhino Records sold more than 2 million copies of monkeys albums. And, and that best of the album that I was talking about before it actually hit the top 20 in the billboards. Wow. You know, and, what? uh, and people it's, say they monkey crazy. around. They do. Like, <laughs> you know, the, this whole thing started too, and this is really cool. And this is a sign of the times in the eighties, because like I said, the, uh, the show was canceled in 68. The band broke up in 71, but then in February of 1986, MTV ran a, a marathon that they called pleasant Valley Sunday. There was all monkeys episodes. And that yeah, I just remember watching that. Yeah, it reignited the popularity and, Shit went crazy, man. Power of cable. That's fucking eighties yep. right there. That's that's yep. so true, man. It, there was a uh, monkey's renaissance in the eighties. Yeah, I, I remember that's the first time I saw the show. It was yep. right around then. Yeah, matter. Yeah, I I used to watch that the Nick at Night or Nickelodeon monkeys reruns all the time. Yeah. Matter of fact, the tour that you're talking about, the twentieth anniversary tour, my sister's very first concert she went to. Wow. Was that was that monkeys show? That's some shit. That is. I All right, that Carlos. Album. It's a good album. What do you? All right, Carlos. What do you got for music? Nineteen ninety six. Last week of May. So May twenty eighth, nineteen ninety six. We get Slayer's Undisputed Attitude, their seventh studio album. And this album is a little bit different from the previous ones. This one consists almost entirely of covers of punk rock and hardcore punk songs. Um. And also two good, two original songs, but mainly covers. Um, they're all from bands like Minor Threat, um, Dr. No, The Stooges, Verbal Abuse. So, uh, a lot of their work that apparently, you know, made what Slayer what they were, a lot of influence. So they wanted to do covers of those, uh, those songs. Uh, it was recorded at Capitol Studios in LA with producer Dave Sardi, while, uh, Rain and Blood producer Rick Rubin, who worked with BC Boys, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Metallica, everybody basically uh, served as executive producer. Uh, it was recorded in just a couple of weeks, and it was largely brainchild of the guitarist uh, Carrie King, which is, if anyone who knows Carrie King is, that guy is literally insane. So uh, <laughs> this is the brainchild of him. Then if his, then you gotta check it out. Um, but it peaked at number thirty-four on the billboards uh, the t- of the out of two hundred, which is pretty sweet for you know a, a cover of punk rock and hardcore punk songs in the mid nineties. Um, and the reviews were pretty positive about it. Paul Paul Cott uh, of All Music commented that Undisputed Attitude, while not perfect, is a fitting tribute to the bands that inspired uh, Slayer to break from the traditional metal mold. That was May twenty eighth, nineteen ninety six. If they were number 34 on the billboards, that might be their highest charted album. So it might be. It that's, might yeah, be. that's crazy. Met like metal like that, you're not really gonna see in the, the top. Not of the at all. Album, so yeah, not a lot of radio play no. for Slayer. So that that's pretty astonishing. All right, what's your second pick? All right, so 
On May 25th, 1996, lead singer of Sublime, Bradley Noel, dies of heroin over of a heroin overdose. So this was a big one in the music world. He born he was born and raised in Long Beach. They had started the band down there and this uh and in the area. And Sublime had already already released uh, 40 Ounces of Freedom uh and Robin Hood. And those have been, you know, already people were getting a good fan base with that one. And then while right before they released the uh the self-titled album, you know, he he dies of an overdose, but then the self-titled album comes out, and that's where all like the classics are on. You know, get yeah. like Garden Grove, What I Got, Santeria. I mean, you just name it, like all those songs are are great. And it's just it's just a tragedy that you know. I mean, he I I, I don't I don't know what the age was. I need to look it up and see what. I think it was uh, he was in his mid twenties. Yeah, he was pretty young, and so you know, Sublime. You know, they took a short break, but you know, of course, they they continue to to tour with Sublime with Rome or whatever version they're at this point. Uh, and they've released a lot of other songs that they've had that he recorded with them. But, you know, there's only so many, so they got to pace themselves on that. But, yeah, that was a pretty historic day, May 25th, 1996, when he died uh, of a heroin overdose, literally two months before their iconic uh, album comes out. He was actually 28. He just 28. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Incredible. This says it was May 25th, but, I mean, either way, it's in your week. Mike Ranger, any comments from you? Well, I was. It's just a shame that he just couldn't see the future. Too bad he didn't have a crystal ball. Um, <laughs> it, it's hard. It, it's it's hard to like not look at like that. Yeah. You're right. ACDC on the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack. That, that was that was huge. That probably does save that movie. It's probably not as memorable. You know, without that, that's like you know, that's one of the things people think about when they think about that movie is that ACDC is on the soundtrack and the Goblin Truck. And the Goblin Drill. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. But, um, <laughs> Nobody yeah. remembers Emilio Estevez. No. Yeah, no. Nah. Just the, the the annoying waitress girl. Or the, <laughs> Was the, it the, the voice of uh, this, uh, Bart Simpson? Is that who it is? Yeah, yeah. she's yeah, there, yeah. too. Yeah, the newlyweds. We made you. The newlyweds. That's it. They, look, yeah. they look like brother and sister, like the same damn person. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this is... Uh, yeah, it's a tough one, man. It is. It really is a tough one. Uh, you know, I go back and I look at that soundtrack from Maximum Overdrive. Absolutely love that movie growing up. Great soundtrack to it. Kind of wish that there would have been more original songs, new songs, but I understand how they kind of went with the greatest hits, kind of rejuvenated the enthusiasm for ACDC at the time. And then that 20th anniversary Monkeys tour. Yeah, like I said, that was my sister's very first concert. And I, I remember the Monkeys, like Mike said, they were everywhere at that time. But the show had been canceled. The band had broken up. So if there was any great revival in the uh, in the 80s, it was definitely the Monkeys of all weird things. Yeah, you've got a whole uh, death and rebirth thing going here. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, we look at Slayer. Well, that's all about death as well. And then uh, Sublime. I think we were talking about this before we recorded. That, uh, you know, sometimes we don't always go with, with deaths, but sometimes we do because they're that impactful. And uh, the Bradley Noel death was huge. I remember three specific deaths from high school. Kurt Cobain, Bradley Noel, Jerry Garcia. You really remembered Bradley Noel? Yeah. A lot of people were Sublime fans where I grew up, and that was a big deal. What were they big Sublime fans of? Like, they were big Robin the Hood fans? 40 ounces of freedom i mean a lot of people had 40 ounces of freedom like i love sublime but like honestly me looking at it 
I don't think it was as big a news thing at the time, just because what I got just came out. And that's kind of what sparked what I got because people were like, oh, well, that lead singer is dead. And then they're, the people bought the album because it was like kind of this thing about it. You know, they, they kind of got popular because of the music people had never heard before. I didn't know that there was like, especially where I, I was in New York, a lot of my friends didn't really know it. So I, like, it's just, it's surprising for me to well, hear. Well, they're a West uh, Coast band. Well, yeah, but we were both on the East Coast. So it's, uh, <laughs> he was even further East Coast than yeah, I was. Yeah, I was even further East Coast. <laughs> All right. It's in the All Great right. White North, man. It, but it, it was a big deal. I'm not taking anything away from yeah, it. Yeah, re- it's really a hard round because the monkeys and the Slayer thing, I'm going to cancel those out. I've seen Slayer in concert. One of the only two bands that I've ever walked out on early was Slayer. And the monkeys, I didn't see them. My sister did. So really, it, it's kind of going to come down to Maximum Overdrive versus Sublime. Bradley Knoll dying. That's such a hard one for me. You know, I really want to give it to Bradley Knoll just because, well, he died. And I can't let Carlos die on this episode. So I got to give it to Carlos in the 90s. I'll take it. So close. So, I'll take so it. I'll, I'll take the oh. non-goose egg. I appreciate it, good sir. It's like the third time that I've come down to the last round and did not get the go- you didn't get the final the final uh, flawless victory. I didn't think it was going to go that way. I was I was I was expecting a button there. It looked like you were about to put a button there. I was waiting for it. When you said Slayer, I thought I had you, but then I was thinking in the back of my head, he's saving the better one for the second thing. And when you said Bradley Noel, I was like, fuck. That's even in the back of my head, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I saw Slayer one. in concert and they had Slipknot open for them. And if you've ever seen Slipknot, I mean, it's a huge show. There's like nine guys on the stage. It's it's everything. It's it's friggin' amazing. They pull back to an even bigger stage for when Slayer comes out, and there's three guys on this massive stage. It was so boring. It was horrible. See, I actually like Slayer live, and they just they just stand there. They don't do anything. That's not really fair though, because you don't really like that type of music. I've seen them in concert. I paid money it's, to see them. I like them. They just, eh. I didn't do my thing. I think they're, maybe you saw them on a bad night because usually they. Uh, they were recording a live DVD. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. Maybe you just didn't that's, give them a chance. That's I don't know. A, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was off night. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Man Crush defends his title here on Dueling Decades. Who knows who the next competitor is going to be? But if you've missed an episode, you can always go back on DuelingDecades.com where you can subscribe to our show on CastBox, on iTunes, and listen to all the past episodes. And check out our group over at Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades. Over there, you can join our private group, peek behind the curtain, join in the conversation. Let us know what you think about these episodes. Am I full of shit? Were my rulings horrible? Yes. <laughs> and look out for trivia night. Yeah, that's coming soon. We got some really great things in the works. So uh, pay attention to our Facebook group. Until next time, fellow duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.